Side Hustle Show 343. This is your first virtual assistant. How to bring on the right help so you can work on your business instead of in it. What's up, what's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because no matter how productive you are, there's still a limit. There's a limit to your capacity, to your hours, and to your expertise. And when you're up against that ceiling, you've got a couple choices. You can settle in, like, all right, this is my life now. Or you can ask for help in breaking through. That's what this episode is about. Growing your team in such a way that you've got some breathing room in your schedule and in your mental bandwidth to do the work that's required of a business owner instead of the work of the business doer, to borrow from Sean Marshall in episode 312. Even though I've been hiring virtual help in my businesses since 2005, I've still got a lot to learn. And this is something that's been on my mind this year as I think about where I want to go with my current operations and who can help me get there. To help me dive into this topic, I'm excited to welcome John Jonas and Nate Hirsch to the show. Between them, they've got more than 60 virtual team members and have been practicing remote management for more than a decade. And it turns out they both run platforms to help you make your first virtual hire as well. John heads up onlinejobs.ph, the largest remote job board and resume database for workers in the Philippines, while Nate's created freeup.com, it's free with three E's, a curated freelance marketplace for workers all around the world. I'll tell you a little bit more about the benefits of and differences between the sites as I see them, having been a customer of both after the interview. Stick around to hear John and Nate's take on when it's time to hire, how to find the best talent for your budget, and some common mistakes to avoid. Notes and links for this one, plus the full text summary with all the top tips from the call are at sidehustlenation.com slash virtual. We begin this call with a trip down memory lane as I asked John and Nate to tell me about their first hires and what it felt like to take that leap. You'll hear John first, and I'll be back with my top takeaways after the interview. Ready? Let's do it. 15 years ago, I remember having this conversation with, with this guy who was so far ahead of me in business. I, I mean, I was, I was working and I was fine. I wasn't making a lot of money, but uh, I was working a lot. And he says to me, you know, when you're ready to start outsourcing, make sure you go to the Philippines with it. And I was like, huh, that's interesting and different. And, and he gave me some reasons why and, and gave me a reference to where I could hire someone. And at the time I debated, I went back and forth. I went back and forth for a couple months, actually, of like, I don't know if I can afford to hire someone. He told me to hire someone full-time and I didn't know if I could or should, or if they could do good work or what. And I, and I ended up taking the leap because I tried a whole bunch of other stuff and it just wasn't working for me. So I hired this guy full-time and it was the single most liberating experience of my life where all of a sudden I had this guy whose only job was to do whatever I asked him to do. And, you know, as a business owner, you're doing so many things, you're wearing so many hats and I was able to get a couple hats off of me and onto him. And, and I had to teach him what to do, which was fine, which is one of the, one of the biggest things I'll, I'll talk about probably later. But after a couple months of having him work for me, I realized there's two of me now. That There's two of me because I'm now working more effectively. I could focus on things that were better for the business, like making sales. And he was doing the things that I was previously doing which was such a big deal. So John, what was the business you were running at the time? And what were those couple hats that you took off your head? So I do remember the very first thing I had him do. 
I do not like to write and I don't like the process that goes along with writing. And so I had tried previous to this hiring like people on Upwork to write articles for me because at the time article marketing was super effective. And it was just a big pain in the butt. Like I hired this guy, spent all this time hiring this person. He writes 50 articles. Then I sends them to me. I have to check them for plagiarism. Most of them were good. Some of them were plagiarized. And then as soon as I got them all right, I realized like, crap, he's a writer. That's all he does. And now all the responsibility falls on me to distribute these and link them and use them. And I was like, dude, I don't want to do crap with these. I don't want to think about this. I'm doing other things. And so when I hired this guy full time, this was the first time I was ever able to take a process off of my plate where I could teach him how to do the writing and how to do the submitting and how to do the titles and the art and the resource boxes and the linking and how to link them to my website and to different pages of my website and how to link them to each other. And so it was the first time that like this full thing got off of my plate and I never had to touch it again. Okay. So you kind of had an SEO affiliate content type of business where it was like time consuming to do that SEO writing, this article marketing type of stuff. Nate, what about you? What was your first hire like? (laughs) So I was running an Amazon business out of my college dorm room. I I got into Amazon at at a very good time. This was back in in 2008. And I had a dropshipping business. And with dropshipping, there's so much that goes into it. You're responding to every email. You're following every tracking number. You're building relationships with manufacturers. This was before Amazon software, too. So we were repricing every product, taking down and putting products up, changing inventory, all of that. So there was a lot of manual work, and I'm making money for the first time in my life. I'm, I'm doing everything myself. And so I meet with an accountant to pay taxes for the first time. And he, the first question he asked me is, when are you going to hire your first person? And I kind of shrugged him off. I was like, why would I do that? That's money out of my pocket. I love doing this. I can do it seven days a week. They're going to steal my ideas. They're, they're going to hurt my business. And he just laughed in my face and he said, you're going to learn this lesson on your own. Sure enough, my my first busy season comes around the fourth quarter. I'm not prepared. I don't know what busy season is. And I get destroyed. I'm working 20 hours a day. My social life plummets. My grades go down and I get to the other side and I'm like, oh my God, the account was right. I need to start hiring people. So I post a job on Facebook and this guy in my business law class, he messages me wanting a job and I don't even interview him. I hire him. And he ends up being this amazing hire. He's, I start him off doing bookkeeping work. So at the end of every month, we had all these transactions on our credit card, and we would have to input them into QuickBooks. And I used to do that every single month. And I remember teaching him how to do it and having him do it. And then that month comes by, we did it on the first of the month or 30th of the month, whatever it was, and I just didn't have to do it anymore. And it was kind of like that revelation, like I can focus on high-level stuff, that kind of addiction, that, that delegating has. If you fast forward ahead to my first time hiring a Filipino VA, this was, I was in Florida and a friend of mine told me about Upwork. He actually told me about this VA he was using who referred her friend. Her name's Chicky Ann. She still works with me today. And I remember getting her on emails and doing customer service because with dropshipping, there's, there's so many emails. What's my tracking number? This arrived damaged. And I just remember training her up and getting her to do emails And I'll always remember the first day that I woke up and I didn't have to check my email anymore. That was incredible. And I learned a ton about just hiring people in the Philippines in general. I remember after her, I just had a bunch of people quit on me. This kind of goes to what John was saying about just learning 
what it's like working with people in the Philippines, they didn't really like how direct I was and how I was right to the point. And I really didn't have an emotional side. It was business. This is what you do. And and that hurt me a lot of ways when I was hiring VAs for the first time outside of Chicky Ann, who for whatever reason was, was very loyal and put up with a lot of my nonsense. <laughs> she saw the diamond underneath. Okay. Now, this is interesting. So it sounds like this is kind of probably around the same time frame, kind of this 2008, 2009 time frame, which was around the time that I made my first VA hire as well. And I actually went through a third-party company because I either wasn't familiar with Elance at that time or, or Odesk at that time, or just wasn't comfortable making a direct hire. So I found this company out of Karachi, Pakistan, which was at that time, the largest city in the world I never heard of, 20 million people, and hired this guy, Wasio, to run pay-per-click ad campaigns for me on, on Google AdWords. And it was fascinating. Like he'd work the night shift in Karachi and we'd be on Gmail chat like all day. And, you know, I'm learning so much about his culture. And he, he would joke like, I know more about women's shoes than anybody in, in Karachi. And it was just a fascinating experience. But it was this kind of first taste of like Nate, you said kind of this delegation and like, oh, how empowering that can be. And John, you called it this liberating experience. Like I could go to the gym at 10 in the morning and work was still getting done. And that, that was a big light bulb moment for me. Like I didn't have to be behind the keyboard at all the time. For me, a couple of things triggered that. And I had kind of the same fears of like, they're going to steal my ideas. They're not going to do it as well as me. Like all this, can I afford this? For me, it was, when is it time to bring on help? It was this kind of question of, are you working on your business or are you working in your business? And I was very much working in the business at that time. On top of that, you kind of come to this realization, like, I have a process for this. And even though it's all in my head right now, like I could teach somebody else how to do this. So if somebody else kind of looked over my shoulder, they could figure this out. Like it's not rocket science. But I'm curious, what was, you know, you're working 20 hours a day. So that was probably a red flag to bring on help. But John, like what kind of prompted you to say like, okay, this is something that I need to do? Here's what really prompted me. When I was in college, I had a conversation with my roommate and we were talking about what we wanted to do when we, when we grew up, right? And I said, I wanted to run my own business. And he laughed at me. And he was like, because he was in med he was an undergrad to go to medical school, which he's a doctor today. And he was like, don't you know that small business owners work like so much more than everyone else? And I was like, well, I, I think I can do it differently. <laughs> and when With I. All the optimism of a, of a college student, of course. Yeah, of course, right? When I say something like that, I'm pretty sad on like figuring something out. Because who wants to be a hypocrite? Who wants to be that guy who, oh, yeah, you were going to be so awesome and whatever. So what I tell most people today for like, when do you know is when, when's the time to hire someone? Because for me at the time, it was like, dude, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this thing that I'm doing. I hate this. So I had to try and find help. What I'll tell most people is if there is something that you're doing that you could potentially teach someone else, doesn't matter how much work it takes you to teach someone else, it's time to hire someone else. It's time, it's time to hire someone else to do it. Because if it takes you a month to teach them how to do it, after that, you'll never have to do that thing again. If you've hired correctly, you'll never have to do it again. And that is the only way that I know of that you can buy time. Yeah, it's kind of this saw sharpening moment where you have to take, again, you're already pressed for time, you're already busy. And saying, well, now I'm going to take time away from doing that thing to train somebody else to do it in the hopes of never having to do it again. Like, if it's going to take me this time up front, 
it's this investment in, in your future. The only way to buy time. Nate, anything to add on that? Like for when is it time to hire? There's really two schools of thought. I mean, the first one is exactly what John said, when, when it's all these things that are just piling up that are, are taking on your time. And the only way to get your time back is to pass those tasks off to someone else. And how do you get five hours in your week back, 10 hours in your week back, whatever it is. The flip side of it is, I think the average entrepreneur is only good at one to three things, their, their core competency. Maybe you're good at sales, or you're good at content or, or whatever it is. And as you get farther and farther away from your core competency, Sure, you could take a six-month course to become a Facebook ad guru, but you can't do that with every single part of your business. So at some point, you have to hire people who are better at doing things than you are. And it could even be the small stuff. I mean, take the, the bookkeeping, for example. I wasn't necessarily great at just transferring information and making sure everything's accurate and, and double-checking it. I mean, that was very tedious for me. That That's probably not my core strength. So I take someone else and I put them in it. And not only are they doing the job, but they're doing it better than I could have done it originally. So I think that was a big eye opener for me as well when I would give someone a task and maybe not right away, but eventually they would do something even better than I could. And that's very liberating. And it makes you want to delegate. It almost makes you want to be a, a lazy entrepreneur, so to speak, really just toning in on what are you the best at, what helps you scale your business and finding ways to delegate everything else. Yeah, and what I've kind of gone through in the past is a time tracking exercise or a time audit exercise. Say, where where is my time going today? And okay, what opportunities are there for delegation inside of that? And on the opposite side, like what is not showing up in that time tracking exercise? Like what what should you be doing? What would you be working on if you only have more hours? It's something else to to think about. When you're making that first move. So John, you, you took the leap and said, okay, I'm going to hire a full-time person, as did I. You know, it was kind of like, okay, am I going to be able to keep this person busy? Like, is this going to be, are they going to pay for themselves? And then some, like, am I going to see an ROI on this? Do you guys have any frameworks or recommendations for figuring out how many hours you might need outside of perhaps that time tracking exercise? Well, I spent five hours last week on this, so I can hire somebody five hours a week to do it for me. Yeah, I do. It doesn't matter. And I'll tell you why. My brother one time is running this business and he's overwhelmed, whatever, and he hires this full-time person and he says he didn't have enough work to keep him busy full-time. Then he comes back to me three weeks later and was like, dude, I need to hire someone else. He was like, until you have someone else working for you, you don't realize how much there is to do or how much, the, how much can get done. So for me, there was a huge, and I'll just point out what you said that like my first hire was full-time and your first hire was full-time. There is something different in hiring full-time. And this took me years to recognize. Most entrepreneurs are working in their business, right? And you're a grunt worker, which I was a grunt worker at the time. I was tweaking WordPress and I was writing content and I was doing Facebook, whatever. It wasn't until I hired someone else and I hired them full-time and that's a big, big deal. So you hire someone hourly and you don't care if they're busy or not. So if you give them a task to do, they do the task, great. If they're done and they're not, and you don't have something else for them to do, you don't care, which allows you to continue doing the whatever junk you're doing. If you hire someone full time, if they're not busy, that's on you now. And, and that's, what, that's what fell on to me was like, oh, he finished this task. Oh, I gave him this task. I thought it would take him 30 hours. It took him six. So now I was I immediately faced with this thing of like, oh, crap, I have to come up with something for him to do. Which right there is the shift between 
working in your business and working on your business. That's the shift between being a grunt worker and being the CEO. And I didn't realize that that's what was happening, but that's what it was. You hire someone full-time rather than hourly, and it forces you into taking a different role in your business so that now you have to work on it rather than work in it. So for me, when you ask, how do you figure out how much time to take? You don't. You hire someone full-time. You can hire someone part-time, that's fine, but pay them a set salary. And what you'll find is you're forced into becoming a better business owner. Hourly doesn't force you to do that. Yeah, that's interesting. That shift from grunt worker to CEO and like having somebody on the clock for you to say like, okay, I need to come up with something productive for this person to do kind of flips a switch in your head. Nate, anything on that? Because it's like, when we'll get into budget in a moment, but it's like, could I really keep somebody busy full time? Like, I'm, it's just a side hustle for me, even if I'm just working a few hours a week. Would it justify bringing somebody else on for 40? I can't disagree with any of that. I've hired plenty of people full time and it's that same mentality. I, I tend to do hourly. This is my personal preference. I don't, I, and we have plenty of clients who do fixed price or salary or, or whatever too. For me, I, I kind of like to experiment too. Like I just hired someone for lead generation and I'm hiring them for 20 hours a week. But I set that expectation up front. You're mine for 20 hours a week. And, and same thing, if they only have five hours of work to do, it's on me to make sure that they get those extra hours. So I would say most of my VAs are full-time, although we do have certain things that are part-time. And I've had people that have started part-time and I've eventually increased them to to full-time as well. So same, same type of mentality, slightly different approach. I do agree that if you if you get someone where you're like, all right, you're, you're, I'm just going to use you five hours a week, it can just put you into something where you're just constantly trying to find work for them. You're not really taking everything off your plate. I, I've seen people that have gone that, that part-time VA route, but they're still doing every other day-to-day operation in their business when so much more can be outsourced. And then it also just becomes a budgeting thing, figuring out how much money did I actually make last month? What am I actually willing to invest into my business? Maybe you want to be super aggressive and it's 40 to 60% of your profits are going towards expansion and hiring. Maybe it's more conservative and it's 10 to 30% and you can pick a number and go up and down 10% or 5% each month, depending on what you want to do and how your business is doing. But that's kind of the approach that I've taken. Okay, that's interesting. I've never really thought about it that way. Like, okay, I'm going to proactively invest 25% of the profits back into growth, back into the business. It's always like, Hey, I made 10 grand last month. Great. You know, it's like, I do, you don't really think about it, or at least I haven't really thought about it in that way. So that is an interesting way to, way to frame it. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time. And you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com host. Once again, that's airbnb.com host. 
When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's talk about that budget for a moment. So obviously there's some geo arbitrage advantages of hiring in the Philippines. That's the specialty of onlinejobs.ph. What kind of budget were you looking at, John, for that first full-time hire? When I first hired, there was no place like onlinejobs.ph, right? There was no marketplace you could go to to find people. So I went through an agency and I paid them $750 a month and they paid the worker $250 a month. And it was great. Two fifty was for, was for a full time full time salary. Yeah, that's fifteen years ago. So that's that's not enough today. But I will say that I just hired someone to do some admin stuff for us, and I was ready to pay her five hundred bucks a month. And she said, "I want to make three hundred and fifty dollars a month, which I think is too low." So we paid her four hundred bucks a month for full time work. Is that a decent living? Like that seems absurdly low by Western standards. It is absurdly low by Western standards. I have 25 people now that work for me. She's definitely the lowest paid person. The rest of them make between $450 and $1,500 a month. So usually in the Philippines, people live with their parents or they live with their spouse and their both spouses work. One of the great things about what both Nate and I do is we let people can raise their own kids rather than having their parents raise their kids or a nanny raise their kids. And so the wage isn't, isn't the whole thing here. It's also a a lifestyle thing for them where they get to see their family, where otherwise they're not, because the standard work week in the Philippines is six, 10 hour days. And I think that's changing some, but still six, 10 hour days. You know, usually people are working five, eight hour days for us. And they're often working from home. Yeah, they're, they're able to do it from home. They don't necessarily have to pull a night shift at some BPO call center type of place. Right. So the $400 a month is a low end. It's, it's low. So usually that, that person is going to be living with someone else who's also working. Okay. But in the $500 to $1,000 range, not unreasonable today. Right. Yeah, for sure. You can find just about anything in that range. Nate, are you saying the same thing? FreeUp kind of focuses on these more hourly workers rather than full-time hires though, right? No, I mean, you can do fixed prices on our platform too, and they set their own rates. My, my team VAs, I've got about 40 of them, are in that 5 to $7 an hour for the most part. But then I've got people that are team leaders that have been with me longer that, that make 15 plus an hour, and we do that in, intentionally. But we have people on our platform that'll hire a VA for the $500 a month or 800 whatever it is. 
our biggest thing is we just don't want turnover. And that's not to say that people are definitely going to quit if you don't pay them enough. But for us, if a client comes to us and we introduce them to a freelancer, we want the freelancer to only take a rate that they're going to be happy with long term. And we've just found that, yeah, if someone accepts the 400, whatever it is, if they're not 100% happy with it, it's not that hard to beat or match or, or have another client come in and swoop them. And, and the last thing we want to do is have that happen to, to our client base. So we like to say that that we're five and up, but if the freelancer is good going below, whether it's a $4 or $3 or is good with a fixed monthly rate, they're, they're more than happy to, they're more than welcome to take that rate as long as they're good with it full time and, and that rate's not going to be an issue going forward. Just bringing up that point to illustrate like this doesn't have to be a budget breaking move in your business. Like you can get somebody competent and qualified really affordably. And that was one thing that was really eye opening to me 10 or 12 years ago as we were just kind of getting started down this path. And, of, and I should add too, there's a thriving industry of work from home professional assistants and contractors and freelancers in the United States, in Europe, like where salaries, $35, $50 an hour and up. So that's if your budget allows and you need somebody closer to home, you can absolutely go down that path too. One thing, and this is from Chris Ducker, his advice was to hire for the role and not necessarily the task. Whereas a lot of my hires have been for the task. Like I need you to run this AdWords campaign. I need you to run this live chat customer support. What do you guys think about that quote or that bit of advice to say, okay, you're going to be the customer support manager. And in that role, one of your tasks is going to be to manage this customer support, but you have free reign over that kind of division or content area of the of the business. Yeah, so I mostly agree with it. I mean, with my customer service reps, it's, it's the same thing. We're, we're hiring them for the role. They're responsible for a lot of different things. It, it's not like you can only do email support and only understand email support. If you don't understand what's going on in our software or certain questions or, or able to do live support, you're not going to succeed in that role. Now, we also have other more standard, just do this task positions. We have a, a lead generation process that we use for partnerships and to get on podcasts. And I've been doing the same thing for five plus years. We have this process down, we hire someone and the only thing they do is that task. And it's much less of a role. It doesn't really build into someone. We actually have had someone who's knocked that role out of the park and, and we've moved them over to a different role and they've really taken that over. But for the most part, that role is you do it. So I would say 75% of the stuff that, that I personally hire for is more of that. This is your role. Grow into the role. Rock. Become a rock star at that role. But there's other situations that that might not be necessary, especially as a young startup or maybe a startup that just has their systems really down pat, where it's almost that McDonald's style. You're you're standing here. You're doing this, and that's what you're responsible for. And someone else is responsible for step B, and someone else is responsible for for step C. So I have two situations. One of them is correct, and one of them is not. So the situation where you hire for the role or you hire for the task is technical positions. So anything webmaster, programmer, designer, something that requires some technical knowledge, hire them for their skills in that thing. Almost everything else though, even like a high-end content writer would fall into that technical thing. Almost everything else, I say hire for their English because if someone speaks good English, that means, usually it means they think well. That means they'll learn well, you can teach them things well, they can do other things well. And English is one of the things. The second thing that I say hire for is hire for their 
dedication to details, their, their attention to details. And then second, their reliability. Like, do they show up every single day? So if they're paying attention to details and they're reliable, like you can teach this person anything you want and their English is less important. Those are my criteria for like role-based versus whatever. Because I've found that usually if I find someone and they're good, it doesn't matter what they know individually. They're going to work on different things. Just like Nate said, like you're going to transition them into something else because businesses change. And I want someone who's smart and who pays attention to the details and who shows up every day. And I can teach you this task and then we can learn another task when business changes. Okay. Well, let's dive into that because I think this is an important next step is kind of, okay, now that I've kind of itemized out what I could probably use some help with and I've gotten some ideas on what that might take, how do you test for reliability before you before you hire somebody and, and see if they actually show up every day? Or how do you test for uh, attention to detail before yeah, I guess you could look at their resume for typos and stuff like that. But what goes into your job descriptions for a new hire or like, how are you doing that screening or hiring process, John? So for me, it's not a matter of job description. It's a matter of what do I do after I communicate with them? I'll just tell you my process and lots of people have different processes and there's not a right way, but this is my way. So once I've communicated with someone, I start interviewing them. I will ask them one, two, four questions across five, eight, 15 emails during the recruiting process. In there, I get to see all kinds of stuff. So I would say my recruiting, my recruiting success is probably 80%, where like 80% of the time I'm finding someone, I'm picking a good person. So when, I, when I'm doing this, uh, I'll ask them four questions. Here's, the, here's an example. If you answer three of those questions, what are the chances you only do three of the four tasks I ask you to do later, right? So there, there's a good attention to detail thing. If I email you and it takes you three days to respond during the recruiting process, what are the chances it's going to take you three days to respond after I've hired you? I recently had one of my people referred me to his brother, who I know is super, super talented. And I started interviewing him and it took him three weeks to respond to me. And I was like, sorry, dude, I'm done. No, because if you do that during recruiting, chances are really, really high after I hire you, you're going to keep doing that. So I'm seeing reliability. I'm seeing your communication. I, I get to see your, your handling of English. How do you handle English or English slang? Or, you know, it's reasonable to fake your profile, like have your friend help you write your profile. It's not reasonable to do that twice a day for five days in emails. What type of questions are you asking in these emails? I will ask everything. Like, where do you live? Who do you live with? How many kids do you have? Are you married? How much do you want to make? What's your past experience? Tell me a situation where you've had something hard and how did you solve it? Why are you the right person for this job? Show me examples of your work. Write a paragraph telling me that why you're different than other people. I don't want to hear because I'm dedicated and I work hard. I don't want to hear that. Give me something unique. All kinds of random crap. Attach a picture of a pink Cadillac to the next email just to see if they're paying attention. Like, and so in that, in that scenario, and I know a lot of employers do this, there's three potential responses. One is... They ignore it, which is why I ask it, because they're ignoring a task that I asked them to do that didn't make sense to them, and that's crappy. Two is they attach a picture of a pink Cadillac, great. Three is they question you and, and are like, you asked for this, why? That's a silly thing. Why are you asking for this? That's awesome. Like When I see that, I'm like, okay, sweet. You're willing to question me, to question my authority, you know? This is going really well. 
And so through this process, you're kind of narrowing down the candidates based on who's answering these questions well, who's, you know, asking questions back to you and seeing who kind of stands out. And this is all before jumping on like a Skype call or a video chat. Ah, no, it's not. I don't do it. So this is Philippines specific, the reason I don't do it. What I have found is that Filipinos are scared. They're shy. And that's what they call it. They call themselves shy. And really what it is, uh, in my experience, is they are worried about disappointing you. Like they're a very pleasing culture. And so if they're going to disappoint you or make or they're going to feel embarrassed, they'd rather not do the thing at all. And so getting on a call with you is one of those things where they know that they're going to understand you because they're, they watch American TV and they're fine understanding English. It's they're worried that you're not going to understand them. So I've had like two different situations of this where two of my employees, they, they were already working for me, were, they were both super hesitant to get on a call with me. One of them, I could barely understand him. And we had never had a communication issue, but when we got on the phone, I, I, it was impossible. He was a programmer, the best programmer I've ever met. So it didn't really matter, right? The other one, her English was perfect, completely flawless. And she didn't want to get on a call with me because she was so worried. So my point with the, not, I don't do Skype calls because what you'll find is, and maybe Nate has a different process, but you'll have 10 recruits. You'll ask them to do a Skype call. Six of them will schedule it with you. Two of them will show up. Where of those 10, you potentially had 10 good recruits. And this isn't for a voice position. So how they speak English doesn't really matter. And you just lost eight of them who potentially could have been really great. And now you're down to a pool of two because you require a Skype interview. John, I'm really happy you said that. Because <laughs> I think a lot of people have, have told me I'm crazy because I won't do any kind of voice calls, any kind of phone calls, Skype calls, Viber calls, whatever, with any of my international staff, really ever. I keep everything on Skype message for a lot of different reasons. But I mean, one of what you just said, most people just don't want to do it. <laughs> and if it's not a voice position, it doesn't really matter. I, not only do I care about the speed of responses to emails, I care about speed to responses to Skype messages. And that doesn't mean that they need to be available 24-7. But if I'm doing an interview with them and we're both there, we both show up and I'm shooting them messages and it's taking five minutes for a message to come in here and an extra minute and a half here instead of quick responses along with the high level English skills that, that we both value, that's a huge red flag for me as well. It's really surprising to hear that, okay, we'll just hire somebody over this written communication. But Sounds like you've got it. Yeah, I mean, most of our communication, our meetings and everything is, is all through, is all written via Skype. It also just gives them a, a good way to go back and read things. Everything's in writing. If you need to go back and say, hey, this is what we talked about. I don't know if you've ever tried to get like six Filipinos on a, on a Zoom call or something. Someone always has an internet issue. Things drop out. Things get misheard. It, it never goes as planned. So this is interesting. And this is not applied to your first hire, but once you have a team they'll start doing things. So my team insisted or came to me and asked me, can we set up a Slack chat so we can chat with each other? I'm like, sure. Great. I don't really participate in it. All of my communication is asynchronous. I do it through email or I do it. I mean, we use Basecamp. So almost all of it's through Basecamp for project management. So all of the communication is I write a message. They write back when they're available. And sometimes we're on at the same time and I'll find that we're doing it really quickly together. But for most of what we do, and every business is different where I don't require instant communication. Other businesses will. And yeah, Skype chat's great. We don't do it. And so like the phone call is completely unnecessary. 
What mistakes do you see people making on your platforms for, for hiring? Maybe Nate, you can go first. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is just setting the expectations right from the beginning. I mean, if you're, I mean, it starts off with just what the communication channel is. Someone might have five different clients and they each have one person like Slack or Basecamp, another person like Skype, the other person only likes email. And if you don't take the time to, to set that expectation up front, a lot of times you'll run into issues. I had a client this week where the freelancer came to me and they were like, I don't know what to do with this client. They, I've been messaging them over and over and over. And it turns out the client was waiting for a Slack message and the freelancer had no idea that that's how they were supposed to communicate, even though he got a Slack invite like three weeks ago. So, I mean, setting those expectations is definitely key. What I like to do when I hire people is almost scare them a little bit. Scare is probably not the right word, but I like to set the expectations very high. This is how we communicate. This is who you go to for this. This is what constitutes success, failure. I'll, I'll tell them anything that I didn't like from Let's say that I, I got rid of a customer service rep. I'll, I'll explain why, why, why it didn't work out, what they were doing. So they have all the information that they need to succeed. And I would much rather have someone back out right at the beginning because they say, you know what, I can't meet those expectations than for me or my team to invest two or three weeks into someone only to realize that, that they're not the right fit. Also into that is just personal preferences, any pet peeves that you have. I know for, for me and my team, one of my pet peeves is if someone messages me, hey, Nate, and unless it's like a friendly thing, but if it's a business thing and then they wait for me to respond before they tell me what the issue is or, or why they contacted me to begin with, because there's just a lot of people and, and that would take forever for me to go back and forth and in order for me to get the information that I need up front. So one of the things I preach is get me all the information up front so that I can help make a decision or help teach you whatever it is. So really setting those expectations right from the beginning, that's where I think a lot of people go wrong in the hiring process where they just get further and further down the line without being on the same page to begin with. John, what about you as far as mistakes or unhappy customers of online jobs? Yeah, so I see I see two things. And both of these have to do with exactly what Nate said, expectations. So number one is trying to hire someone who can do everything. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten an email that said, I need someone who can build my website and make it look really awesome and put up a Facebook fan page for me and change the graphic and then write 15 articles that are really professionally done and do my AdWords marketing and create this custom programming thing. Like, dude, this person doesn't exist. I'm sorry, this is silly. That's one thing, like hiring people with expectations of like, this, this is a magical person. There's no such thing. The second big mistake that I see is expecting perfection right from the start. Like, hey, I hired this person and, and you didn't do this thing exactly how I told you to do it the first time. And so you're fired. So what I've seen over the years often is like, I provided them perfect instructions. Look. And when I look at the instructions, I'm like, dude, I don't even know what you want. So your instructions suck. But you think that your instructions are perfect and... You expected them to do it perfectly and you had zero tolerance for this and you fired them. That's usually the mistake. Like this isn't a magic bullet. It doesn't solve things overnight. You have to work at it. You have to create a relationship with the people you're hiring. It takes time. John, one of my personal favorites is when someone messages a VA and their only instructions are find me profitable products on Amazon. That's it. Nothing else. And then they'll hire the VA for five hours and then they'll, they'll dispute it and they'll say, oh, this person didn't find me any profitable products. And I have a whole canned response for it and that. But you're absolutely right. I mean, if, if you're only as good as your directions and your instructions and, and that perfect person, 
that does everything, you don't even want to hire that person. Let's say best case scenario, you hire a, a perfect person that can do all these different tasks for your business. If that person gets sick, if that person quits on you, you're never finding a second one that's going to be exactly the same. So I think a lot of business owners need to get out of that mentality as well. Yeah. Or like, build me a website. Like what? No, that's not, no, there's so much thinking that goes on. And that's, that's probably the other side of it is, and this goes way back to the very beginning. When is it time to hire someone? Don't hire someone expecting them to take over and run your business or to build your business for you. You should know what you're doing in your business before you hire someone. Like you should have a reason you're hiring this person and know what they're going to do. And it's the same thing for like, build me a website. You should know what is going into this website, or at least you should be willing to think through it and work with them through the issues. Like, hey, I like this from this website. Here's why I want it on my website. Put it here. Stuff like that. Because the build me a website doesn't work. Well, on the flip side of that, when is it time to say like, this is just not working out? Like this person is not communicating well. They're not meeting expectations. Like we've been through this training three or four times and it's just like they're not getting it like we ever had to let somebody go who just wasn't performing i mean i definitely have i don't think anyone has a 100 percent hiring record it doesn't doesn't exist for me it's all about how much investment did, did i make into this person if i'm on week one and they're not showing up on time and they're not grasping it i'm probably pretty quick to part ties now i've also had a situation where i had a bookkeeper for two years and he was an absolute rock star and all of a sudden he started making mistakes and, and not following directions. And, and I sat down and I, I met with him and I tried to get to the bottom of what was going on. And I'm really happy I didn't fire him because it turns out that he was just burnt out from busy season and he needed a, a week and a half off and he came back and he's been crushing it ever since. So for me, it, I kind of look at how much time I've invested. I also try to focus on what I can control. If I hire three VAs and all three of them can't follow my SOPs and are all struggling, I probably need to take a look at my SOPs and how I'm communicating it and how I'm, how I'm teaching it. So there's different factors there. I think we've all heard the, the fire fast, hire slow. It's kind of the same thing. It all depends on how much time and money you've invested into someone, but you also don't want to get caught up. Hey, I've invested a, a month into someone, so I'm not going to part ways. And then you end up two months in and, and they're still not doing what you want. So it's kind of a, a fine line and a balancing act. And it's hard. <laughs> firing sucks no matter where you are so for me my when something's not going right especially in the philippines the the first question is what are you stuck on to that person because i, I mean i've had the exact same experience that nate has had like i have this amazing programmer and he's been so dang good for so long and then he stopped working for like a month and I, I'm the type where I, I just want people to work and I don't want to think about it. And, I, and it took, takes me a while to realize something's not going on. So I approached him and said, what's going on with you? I was like, dude, what? If he's not working, I'm going to let him go. But I said, what's going on with you? And it turns out he was like, I'm so sorry, sir. I, I have this major eye problem where if I look at the computer for more than an hour straight, I, I can't see. I go blind. Like, oh, crap, that sucks. Yeah, like hey, how can I help you work through this? He was like, well, I need this medicine and it's hard to get and it's really expensive. Like, sweet, let me help you buy this medicine so you get back to work. And he's back to work and awesome. But there's, there is a thing of patience there of like trying to work through issues where a lot of people just aren't willing to do it. If you're not willing to do it, if you're not willing to work through issues, then this is hard for you. Now that seems exceptionally common where, oh, my wife's brother is in 
the hospital or there was a typhoon, which I guess you could verify, or the internet was out, or you just, you kind of get ghosted in certain situations and you're like, what was it something that I did? Like, is this legit? And you're halfway around the world and you're trying to figure out, okay, is this person just trying to get more money out of me? Why did they all of a sudden stop working? It can be kind of a frustrating situation. Like, have you ever had that happen where it's like, had you not been proactive about asking him like, hey, what's going on with you? Like, you might never have found out. Or do you get these kind of sob stories? And I don't know, it's hard to know what's the truth. Yes, we all get them. Nate, how do you deal with it? <laughs> yeah, we, we definitely all get them. I mean, part of what we do that I think is that we do well is we almost set the expectation. If you're going to get on the free up platform, not working for me, just offering your services in general, never mind on my my internal team, the, the communication is everything. If, you, if you're not communicating with clients, if, if the clients have to chase you, if my team has to stop what they're doing to, to reach out to you and reach out to your emergency contact, you're, you're going to get blocked from getting more clients from us. And We'll make it right with the client, but but that's it. So we all go through personal issues. I know Philippines, people in the Philippines sometimes get a bad rap for for different things, whether it's they have an extended family or they've got power outages or stuff like that. But we really set the expectation that, listen, if, if you're supposed to work and, and you lose power, the expectation is you communicate it up front to the client and you go somewhere where, where there's internet. And if you can't, you let us know. And, and having strong internet, strong power is a bare minimum requirement to offer your services on the free up platform. So we kind of set those expectations. I mean, if someone from my team just disappears for a week, most likely they're not going to continue working with me. I mean, we just can't have people that are just going to completely drop off the face of the earth with absolutely no communication. At the end of the day, what are you going to do? I mean, we have people's emergency contact information. We've got, if someone referred them to the platform, we can contact their referral. But if someone disappears, I'm not going to go to the Philippines and chase them down or I have this piece of paper, a legal agreement, like none of that's going to happen. There's only so much you can do. And, and we're we consider ourselves just pretty reasonably reasonable people. If you have a personal issue, if something's going on, let us know. We're, we're going to problem solve and see if there's a way to, to work around it. But if you're not going to communicate it up front, then there's not much we can do to help you. Do you put a contract in place to say like, okay, here's the expected hours. Here's your payment terms. Here's, you know, what I do you spell that out up front. So we have the terms of use of being on our platform, which is different. If you're talking about my internal team, then no. I mean, we've got our – so what I do is I lay out the expectations. It's not a contract, but I, I have it all in writing, and I'll, I'll have them write, I confirm, or I agree – to everything as we go down. So if there's ever a, a question of, did we agree to this or you're supposed to do this, we have this conversation that we can go back to and it's like, hey, you you agreed to this. I mean, again, what am I going to do with a legal agreement with someone in the Philippines? Or, I'm never going to enforce that at the end of the day, but John might have a different... No, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I love it because I get this question all the time too. Like, where's the contract? Like, no, you're not going to enforce a contract. That, no. Yeah, so... Off of that, I had a funny situation where I, I had this client who she wasn't happy with this bookkeeping work. And, and I knew this bookkeeper. This bookkeeper has been awesome. He's been on the platform for a while, tons of really happy clients. And we paid out the bookkeeper and the, cl the client came back and she wasn't happy with the work. It was like $400 or something like that. So I refunded the client. No big deal. The freelancer was happy. He had other clients. I checked in with them. They were all happy. But the client came back to me and he was like, I don't want you to pay for this. I want you to get the money from the freelancer and and pay me from the freelancer. And he was like, don't you have these legal agreements? Can't you enforce this? And 
I, I tried to tell her in the nicest way possible that I wasn't going to force this guy to send me $400, that I wasn't going to hire a Filipino lawyer to go after him. Like none of that was, was realistic in any way. And, and John, I'm sure you get very similar stories. Yeah. And usually <laughs> we're like you. I mean, we're trying to be nice about it, but in the end, we just say, go away. No, this is up to you to work this out. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Anything else to to add on you know this dipping your toe into the outsourcing waters before we wrap up? I'm a big fan of experimenting. Like right now, I'm building kind of a biz dev team to handle partnerships, and I don't have an exact SOP. I probably wouldn't have done this back in the day when I was hiring people for the first time. But I'm looking. I know the type of person that I want, and once I hire them, I'm going to give it a few months, and I'm going to experiment and try different things and find someone that I actually work with and collaborate with and that's kind of a more of an advanced thing. I definitely wouldn't recommend it, but don't get in the mentality that you can only hire someone if you have an A, B, C, D, E process. Yeah, it's strongly recommended, but there's a, a time and place in your business to experiment with different things. And I'm a big fan of low risk, high reward situations. If I hire someone to run my Instagram for three months, what's the worst case scenario? I lose a few hundred dollars. And, and what's the best case scenario is it starts up a, a brand new revenue source and build a presence there and, and don't be afraid to experiment and try new things as long as you're in the mentality that some things work and some things don't. Nate and I are so similar. My thing with this is, look, you don't know if this works for you until you try it. Like you, you got to give it a try. And, and it takes a leap. Like if you're working 50 hours a week, plan on working 55 hours a week for a couple of weeks. It's just part of it. But then if it works for you, like the reward is time. If it doesn't work for you, you're out a couple hundred bucks, right? It's not that big of a deal. But to know if it's going to work for you, you got to try it. You have, you have to do something. You have to take a leap. Yeah, I think the bigger risk, is aside from the time and the money, you know, in my case, it was opening the doors to the kingdom. It was like, okay, here's the AdWords account. I mean, you could do some serious damage in there if you don't follow directions or you, I don't know, change the password or lock out the credit card information or something. And, or it's like, okay, I'm going to bring somebody in to manage my inbox. It's like, there's some potentially sensitive information. So there's like, there's the time and money risk, but there's like the business and security and like personal trust risk that can be hard to get over as well. So kind of like that, framing it as like an experiment, like low risk, high reward hires. And we should point out that like people aren't out to screw you over. The vast majority of people, like they're looking for honest work and they want to do a good job and they want to have something that can support them and their family for a long term. But it is this leap to get over to like, especially if it's your first time delegating to say, okay, now, now somebody else is going to take over this for me. Let's wrap this thing up with you guys. Number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. doesn't have to be outsourcing related or virtual assistant related, just whatever entrepreneurial wisdom you'd like to impart and we'll let John kick this one off. So what I found over the years is the thing that separates successful entrepreneurs from those that are not is is the willingness to think, the willingness to think through hard things because business is hard. It's not just tell me what to do and I'll do it. That's not how you run a business. You have to be willing to think through problems and create solutions and and that's where the hard work is. The hard work isn't in oh I work 80 hours a week. The hard work is in being willing to think effectively and create solutions. Yeah, completely agree with that. The thing I would add, kind of a separate tip, is just being able to prioritize. It's, it's such an underrated skill as an entrepreneur. You've got a million things you can do, all these different things you can tackle. You can go after every social media channel. You've got to 
figure out what comes first, what comes second, what comes third. When a new idea comes up, you have to figure out where that slides in. And and the best entrepreneurs just know how to prioritize and kind of goes hand in hand with hiring. You have to know what what order to hire people, what order to get projects done. And and a lot of times that's the difference between success and failure. Absolutely. The the willingness to think through hard things. What do you mean? This is going to be hard? You know, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it, right? And then the prioritization skill is absolutely critical, both on this hiring front and just in the broader business and life sense. Like, hey, you vote your time with your priorities. Hey, I didn't have enough time to get that done. Be honest with yourself. You prioritized something else, for better or worse. John and Nate, really appreciate you guys joining me, and we'll catch up with you soon. All right, my top three takeaways from this call with John, Jonas, and Nate Hirsch. Number one is to buy time. John called hiring the only way he knows to buy time. And that got me thinking about the various resources at our disposal, time, money, talent, energy. And time is unique in that it's a non-renewable resource. Once you spend it, it's gone. Unlike money where you can always make more. So the idea of buying time stood out to me as something incredibly valuable to buy. I mean, what better to spend your money on? As you go through the exercises of auditing your hours, what time could you buy back? And in most cases, I probably wouldn't make a hire until you have revenue coming in to justify it. But as soon as you do, that opens up this opportunity for delegation, this opportunity to buy back your most precious non-renewable resource. That's takeaway number one, to buy time. Takeaway number two is it takes a leap. John described this mental shift, this liberating experience in forcing himself to start creating systems, to start trusting other people, to start delegating. And I liked Nate's point about thinking of your first hire as an experiment, because you might not be the world's best boss on your first try. I know I certainly wasn't. I remember getting frustrated with Wasio, my first hire, when it was taking him longer than I thought it should to complete these tasks. The truth was, I'd been doing them myself almost daily for years at that point. My fingers could fly across the keyboard without even thinking. I knew every inch of the website interfaces we were dealing with when it was all new to him. On top of that, the processes that I'd internalized through practice, through repetition, you know, took some time to get down on paper and to become similarly second nature for him. But it was an important leap, that little experiment that I've built up in my head to be a much bigger deal than it probably was in terms of downside risk, but it was a really empowering one at the same time. So that's takeaway number two. It takes this leap. Think of it as an experiment. And takeaway number three is, tis better to over-communicate since so much of our communication is non-verbal and you lose a ton of that in these virtual work arrangements. I think it's really important, as both John and Nate described, to be really upfront in your communication and setting expectation for communication. Some of my most aggravating virtual hiring experiences have come as a direct result of slow or unclear communication. Especially if someone is working a different time zone from you, it can slow your progress to a crawl if you can only send and receive a message or two per day. I remember working with this development team in India, which had almost no overlap with my working hours, And it was something that wasn't an issue during onboarding because the sales team, of course, was working U.S. business hours. But after they'd closed the deal, the rest of the team, the technical guys, were not. The part of this call about not doing a phone or Skype interview with a potential hire was really surprising to me, as that's always been a part of my process. 
but John and Nate made a good case for skipping it. Is it really necessary? For some roles, sure, but for others, probably not. Why make somebody jump through that hoop? All this stuff is something you'll learn as you go, but it was definitely interesting for me to hear how these guys with big virtual teams go about it. Once again, you'll find the full text summary of this episode with all the links mentioned and John and Nate's top tips from the call at sidehustlenation.com slash virtual. That's it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen and I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show. Hustle on.